Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone? Well, before I pray and we dive in to God's word this morning, we wanted to take a moment and officially recognize our new deacons, Ryan Collier, Will Johnson, and Lori Patterson. If you guys are in the service, would you stand up to be recognized? Awesome. I, Will was in the first service. They were serving with kids. Uh, Lori, Lori's been here for the, both services, so extra. <laughs> now, you, you may remember back in the fall, we interviewed and vetted these candidates and presented them to you, the church body, to vote and affirm them in this new role. And there are four areas of ministry that these deacons will be working in along with our other deacons. That's budget, benevolence, mission, and buildings. And they are such a a valuable asset to the church here at White Rock Fellowship. So we are so excited for you guys to use your gifts and abilities to serve the church in this way. Would you pray with me as we welcome them and ask God to use them and their gifts for the furtherance of the gospel and his mission here at White Rock? Oh God, most merciful Father, we praise you for sending your son Jesus, who took on himself the form of a servant and humbled himself, becoming obedient even to death on the cross. We praise you that you have highly exalted him and made him Lord of all, and that Through him, we know that whoever would be great must be servant of all. We praise you for the many ministries in your church and for calling these your servants to serve as deacons. Therefore, Father, through Jesus Christ, your son, give your Holy Spirit to Ryan, Will, and Lori. Fill them with grace and power as they accept the role of deacon here at White Rock. Make them, O Lord, modest and humble, strong and constant, to observe the discipline of Christ and let their life and teaching so reflect your commandments that through them many may come to know you and love you. As your son came not to be served, but to serve, may these deacons share in Christ's service and come to the unending glory of him who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns. And now as we turn in our service to hear from your word, may you speak to us and may we respond. It's in your son's name, and by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, just a quick introduction, because I know we've had uh, a a few different faces here the last couple of months. My name is Nathan Seal, and I'm one of the elders here at White Rock, and it is once again so good to be walking through God's Word with you this morning. As not Kyle, but Clayton uh, said to us in the greeting this morning, we're so happy that you're here. Um, There's an info card in the seat back in front of you, uh, and we would love to get to know you better if you're visiting with us. We'd love to tell you more about our church um, and uh, connect with you. So the last time that I preached, we were finishing up a series on Nehemiah, And today, we're beginning a new series on the book of Philippians. Uh, Don't worry, last time we had to cover three chapters of Nehemiah, the last three chapters, and then we summarized Ezra and Nehemiah. It was was a lot. But today, I'm only preaching through 11 verses, so we should be good this morning. Now, we'll be working through this new series up until Easter, so this will carry us up 
through Easter, and it should be a wonderful time studying God's Word. So turn with me, if you will, to the book of Philippians. Actually, a letter, a letter to the saints in Philippi from Paul. Found after the gospel, Acts, Romans, the letter to the Corinthians, and then we have a clump of Paul's shorter letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Now, Philippians is one of the, of the prison letters, so named because Paul was imprisoned as he was writing these letters, along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now, it's likely that Paul is writing from prison in Rome, although other locations have been suggested, Ephesus uh, being one, and Caesarea. But regardless, Paul is writing from chains. But where is Philippi? Uh, Philippi is found in northeast Greece. There's a, a map behind me, and it may be hard to see, but if you look at the top of the Aegean Sea, right in the middle between Macedonia and Thrace, that is where Philippi is located. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 16 that this city was an influential, influential and leading city in the region. And it was a Roman colony. In fact, the Roman road, the Via Ignatia, ran through Philippi. And that road starts at the edge of the Adriatic Sea on Greece and goes all the way to the Black Sea at Constantinople, um, then known as Byzantium. This city was intended to be a, a, a sort of miniature Rome, um, and it still held on to some of that existing Greek culture. So there was a mixture of Greek and Roman culture found in the city. But in that city, there was a vibrant church, a church that Paul had previously planted on one of his missionary journeys. And it's from prison that Paul writes this letter to all the saints in Philippi. And as we heard Sarah read from scripture this morning, the love, affection, admiration, and true joy that Paul has for these fellow partners in the gospel overflows in his greeting, even while in chains. Well, when Rachel and I were engaged many, many moons ago, the summer before our wedding, we were going to be apart for about three months. Uh, Rachel had just finished her senior year at at Wheaton, and I was finishing my first year of graduate studies at Wheaton. And so I was heading home to Texas, and Rachel was heading north to Minnesota. Um, she was planning for the wedding, and I was going back to Texas, where I'm from originally, helping out um, as a summer program director at a camp um, in, in Texas. So we were going to be apart for these three months. And so I decided I was going to keep a journal of just the short letters, every day, day-to-day things of what was happening in my life, and, and of course, uh, sharing my undying love with her each day as well in these, in these notes. And so I did. Every day I would write um, a short letter all the way up to our wedding day in the middle of August, um, and then I presented her with the journal on, on that day. Now, recently I went back uh, and I looked back at some of those journal entries, um, and admittedly, the cheese level was, was quite high. Um, I was young. <laughs> now, if you've, ever, if you've ever seen the movie Elf, you'll remember the quote where Buddy the Elf says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it, right? Uh, some of my journal entries may have that similarity 
to that quote. Um, so, despite the cheesiness, there was no questioning the love uh, and affection and respect that I was trying to communicate, communicate to Rachel. Now here, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and in the introduction, he expresses his love for them. Now, obviously, it wasn't a romantic love, but Paul, you can tell, has a deep and fervent love and appreciation for the church. Listen to this introduction to the letter in verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. In verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you, yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. These are just the first few letters of, first few verses of the letter. And Paul shows us that he clearly has love for the saints in Philippi. But it also sets the table for some of the major themes that occur throughout the book. Themes of unity, encouragement, and discipleship. And Paul models these themes here in the opening to his letter. Let's look at the first two verses. Verses, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in many ways, this is a fairly standard greeting from Paul. It follows many of the standard structures of first century letters. He introduces himself and Timothy, and then he greets the church at Philippi. Notice Paul greets all the saints in Philippi, but then he highlights the leaders of the church, the overseers and deacons. Contrast this with how Paul introduces himself and Timothy as slaves of Christ Jesus. There's no appeal to his apostolic authority here, which is unique. If you look at the beginning to many of his other letters, he'll normally say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to the church. Here, he simply labels himself and Timothy as servants, slaves of Christ Jesus. Later in the letter, chapter two, Paul reminds the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Here's my first point this morning. Serve one another with humility. Serve one another with humility. Theologian Frank Thielman, in his commentary to the letter of Philippians, notes this. Although Paul is God's apostle, set apart and called by him to his task. And although Timothy is an approved co-worker with Paul in this important service, Paul refuses to mention these high qualifications in the letter's opening. He prefers instead to emphasize his and Timothy's common role as slaves of Christ Jesus. He is careful, on the other hand, to give the leaders of the Philippian church their appropriate titles of dignity. By constructing his greeting in this manner, he has, in a small way, showed concern not for his own interests, but for the interests of others. This introduction then sets the tone for the book. Look to the needs of others. Serve one another with humility. Seek unity. Paul addresses the letter to all the saints. He's saying, you are all believers, saints, set apart in your faith. And so be unified in this faith. 
Paul, Paul later calls the Philippians to this unity in chapter 2, verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Later in chapter 4, verse 2, he pleads with two women in the church who were having issues, Judea and Syntyche. He pleads with them to agree in the Lord. Paul models this unity and begins with adopting this attitude of humble service. Now, growing up, I was a camp kid. Uh, my dad ministered in many Christian camps all throughout Texas, um, and we worked uh, in a variety of different ways in different ministries. But in high school, we worked at Camp Tejas, which was um, a camp in Giddings, Texas, uh, central Texas, uh, outside of Austin, Bastrop area. And in this setting, my dad was the horse, he directed the horse program. And so we, we owned about well, 20 plus horses, um, and we would train them and provide um, horseback riding lessons and trail rides for the students that were there in the summer, for summer camp, all throughout the summer. And then on the weekends throughout the year, when there were um, camps on the weekends, on weekend retreats, my dad and I and my siblings would do trail rides on Saturdays. And now that sounds like a lot of fun, and undoubtedly it was. Um, but it's also a lot of stalls to clean out each weekend. Um, and that was one of my responsibilities. Um, but one of the things that I appreciated about my dad was that even though he was running the show and had many responsibilities and many other more important responsibilities, he always participated in the cleaning of the stalls with me and my siblings. Now, I'm sure there were times that I had to clean the stalls on my own, and I'm sure at the time I uh, was a little upset about that. But what I remember looking back is all the times that my dad partnered with me in that job that wasn't the most glamorous, right? Um, we partnered together. We shared in the responsibility. Humble service, it goes a long ways. Serve one another with humility. Paul continues his introduction to the letter by expressing his thanks for the saints in Philippi. Let's read verses 3 through 7. Philippians 1, 3 through 7. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So the first two verses of Paul's greeting encourages us to serve one another with humility. And now in the next five verses... Paul's greeting moves us to encourage one another to love and good works. Now, what does that look like? First, encouragement should begin with prayer. Paul is constantly lifting up the saints in Philippi with prayer. And as we seek to encourage one another, let us also lift one another up in prayer. When we pray, we seek to align ourselves, our hearts, our desires, our thoughts with God. 
when we look to encourage others, what better way than to start at the source of all encouragement? One of the things that I try to do before any meetings is to say a quick prayer that God would provide the words, the right words for the situation that I'm going into. Oftentimes it may be a meeting, a meeting that I'm anxious about um, or a meeting that perhaps I'm not sure will go well. But lately I've been reminded to pray even in the mundane meetings, the meetings where I'm just meeting up with someone to have coffee and to hear from them, hear about their lives. I pray that God would use my words to encourage that person in ways that I may not even know or realize. It can be easy to remember to do these things when uh, we're anxious, but make it a habit for each and every situation. Encouragement should begin with prayer, but also encouragement should be grounded in the gospel. Paul gives encouragement to the Philippians by reminding them of the confidence that they have in Christ. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Because of Christ and his work on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, in him our faith is secure. What incredibly good news. Amen? Amen. Our salvation is not dependent on our work. It resides wholly in Christ's work. And so in light of the gospel, we encourage by reminding one another that we are image bearers of God here on earth. That each of us has worth and each of us has a gifting and a purpose that God placed in us and for us. Affirm people in that gifting, in their gifting. Encourage them to take that first step. When Rachel and I lived in Wheaton early on in our marriage, we attended a small group at our church and enjoyed participating and participated regularly. But it was our small group leader there that first encouraged me to step out of my comfort zone and to consider leading a small group. And I needed that little push, that just encouragement to say, hey, I see this in you. You should follow that. Follow what God has gifted you in. And so my encouragement for us today is to look and look to encourage one another in your sphere of influence. The people that you know, the people that you love, what are the ways that you can encourage them to give them that push, give them that little bit of encouragement to step out um, in the ways that God has gifted them? Now, you'll also notice that the Philippians encouraged Paul. They partnered with him in the gospel faithfully. The text says, from the first day until now, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The Philippians were faithful in thick and thin. Regardless of the situation, their partnership did not waver. Encouragement should begin with prayer. Encouragement should be grounded in the gospel. And encouragement is the result of faithful partnership. Now, I'm not sure you fully realize how much the staff and leadership of the church are encouraged by your faithful partnership here at White Rock. We have partners who faithfully teach at one service and attend the second service. We have partners who faithfully open their homes to host 
community groups and small groups. We have partners who lead community groups and small groups. Partners who lead men's discipleship groups and women's Bible studies. Partners who volunteer in student ministries on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Partners who serve in kids, who serve on the worship team. The list goes on and on. Your service and sacrifice is so appreciated. Thank you. Sincerely. One of the reasons we label our members partners is precisely because of this passage. We are partnering together for the gospel here in White Rock, and we cannot do it without your faithful partnership. If you are a partner and not currently serving, we need you. We would love to help you find a way and find a place to plug in and serve. We, have, we still have many needs and would love to get you connected and serving. So encouragement is the result of faithful partnership. Let us encourage one another to love and good works. Finally, Paul finishes his greeting with a prayer. Let's look at verses 8 through 11. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul's greeting here challenges us to disciple one another in the faith. To disciple one another in the faith. Paul prays that the Philippians' love would grow more and more with knowledge and discernment. But who or what is the object of this love? With the theme of unity in the book and the surrounding context here, Paul is likely referring to the love that believers should have for one another. Notice that Paul is not praying that they abound in knowledge and discernment, for knowledge without love leads to pride. Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul is praying here that their love may abound more and more. And this love growing in knowledge and discernment serves a purpose. So that you may approve what is excellent. And the NIV translates it, that you may approve or discern what is best. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This phrase, approve what is excellent, to discern what is best, is likely referring to discerning false teaching, which Paul will later go on to mention in chapter 3. You see, Paul emphasizes unity among believers, but he isn't suggesting that the Philippians compromise the gospel or compromise what is true for the sake of unity. Rather, he prays that they would grow in their love and be able to discern what is true. And that's my prayer for us here at White Rock, that we would grow in our love, and that we would be able to discern what is true. You know, as a, a parent with four kids, raging, raz, raging, <laughs> also true, uh, ranging from two to almost 12, going on 18, um, I'm constantly praying for and talking with my kids about discernment. 
make wise choices. Think before you act. Consider what you're going to say before you say it. <laughs> uh, and yet, uh, sometimes, often, uh, I find myself saying, what were you thinking? <laughs> and maybe you can relate to that as well. The right choice in many of those cases seems so obvious to us as adults, but then I think back to when I was a kid, and I realize it didn't seem so easy. Uh, in fact, many times the choice I thought, or the choice I made, I thought, this is the right choice, until I saw the consequences or the repercussions of what happened. In a similar way, as we grow in our faith, our love grows and as our love grows for one another, and as we gain knowledge and understanding of God's word, our ability to discern what is true increases. And do you know what's a great resource along this journey? Parents in the faith. Who are the people in your life that are farther along in their journey of faith? The men and women who have years of wisdom and discernment from a faithful walk with the Lord. Ask yourself this question, who am I mentoring and who is mentoring me? Disciple one another in the faith. This is the letter to the Philippians, a small letter, only four chapters, and today we covered the four, first 11 verses. Not written to us, but written for us and packed with God's truth for us today. May we be compelled to serve one another with humility, to encourage one another to love and good works, and to disciple one another in the faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life-giving truth that it imparts. As a church, may we hear your word for us and be moved to act. To serve one another. To encourage one another. To disciple one another. May we grow each day in our love for others. And in that love, discern what is right and true. Mold us each day into the image of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray, and by the power of the Spirit, amen.